Hello and welcome to episode 92 of Command Space on 5x5. My name is Mike Hurley and I am joined today by Mr. Horace Dedu. Hi, Horace. Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm very well, sir. How are you? Well, you know, it's pretty good. Um, I guess it's uh, it's um, out here in Finland, it's starting to be nice weather, you know, and uh, that's always welcome time of year. Can't beat that. Yeah, when it starts to turn to spring in Europe, Europe becomes an amazing place. Mm, mm, indeed. So, Horace, what do you like to be known for? Uh, well, that varies, I suppose, when when you ask. I think the um, I think where I am now is is um, I like to be known for my um, my work online. I think the um, what I what I've written so far is probably my my favorite thing I've done, um, which is to say a Simcoe. But I kind of like Johnny Ives' way of thinking, which is um, most excited about whatever I'm doing right now. So whatever's coming next will be even better, hopefully. So um, I can't say I, you know, I, I, I want to draw a line under what I have done. So um, I, uh, I just hope to do, you know, more, more interesting work uh, as I go on. So, I guess for, for anybody that's not familiar with you, Simcoe is the site that you run, um, and you kind of, please correct me if I'm wrong, you, you focus on like technology markets, especially on mobile, and you take a look at trends and try and look to, to what's the future by, by having an informed view of the past. Would that be a, quite a succinct way of putting what you do? Yeah, yeah. I think it's, it's um, a couple of things which characterize it. One is that it's distinct. I think in terms of having a visual, um, it, having a, um, a visual identity or visual language, first of all, because I, I, I tend not to post anything that doesn't have a graph in it. Uh, so it, 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 it kind of grew up around the, this, this goes back into my history because what I did is I spent eight years or is it nine years? Uh, yeah, some between eight and nine years at Nokia, and I, I was while I was there, I was, um, you know, it's a company that that is in headquartered in Finland, so I worked mostly there, and um, most people don't have English as their native language, and so it became uh, common to share work as. PowerPoint. I think this is common in many companies, but in particular, companies that whose 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 employees are not native speakers of the same language, you need to have a a new lingua franca um, rather than the, the the that which is which is written, which is which in in this case in most most companies today it means it means these these PowerPoint slides and. And when you spend eight, you know, eight years becoming better and better at writing PowerPoint slides, and people begin to dif differentiate on that basis, and sort of like you really are uh, uh, artistic in a way, or some people are are become really good with uh, controlling the the drawing tools. Other people become really good at at 
and layout and, and colors and, and, and backgrounds and what have you. And, um, and I d- decided early on that, that you know, what, what, what was working with the audience was like if I had graphs. Graphs were, were rich in data and, in, and persuasive. And you didn't need a lot of words. You can just put the graph up and and a few a few you know title or, or some footer and and that's all you needed. And so I began to really wor- work on technique to to create good looking graphs. Now the problem was I was using um, I was using uh, office tools, and they they aren't very good at graphs. I mean they they they're not the prettiest. And when I left, I went to uh, I decided to write about Apple and, and I chose to eat the dog food and use only Apple products in writing about Apple and that meant actually using their their iWork tool and that was um, numbers for spreadsheets and and it's a it's much less powerful as a tool than 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 Excel but had beautiful graphs and these beautiful graphs if you master them and you really get to know all the all the little tweaks and how to really get them to um, look um, like like um, a unique, almost uh, sort of a designed look. Uh, you 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 can really stand out, and so that became the visual language. Because as as I would was posting output from numbers, no one w- was looking at this type of uh, graph because numbers was very very seldom, very rarely used, and very few people would build the graphs, the way I was building them, because I was, it's like someone being an expert in power, um, not PowerPoint, but in, let's say, in, in, um, in, in the creative suite from Adobe, and you, you know, you know exactly how to use the palettes and the, and the, and the illustrator, uh, um, all the, all the different hundreds of features available. Well, this is how, although, you know, this is how far I got onto numbers is that I, I really get to know all the details of, of the, uh, options available for for tweaking graphs, and also because the audience also told me how to fix things, and I learned a lot about color and and um, texture and palettes and 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 how to label things correctly, and and so I pushed it to its limit, and it really became a signature of the site. Is this 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 really nicely crafted um, graph? One thing I, I I fantasize about is actually taking a reasonably complex graph I do and doing one of those stop motion films where mm-hmm. you can see what went into it. And you'd be surprised there's probably hundreds of steps involved in building a good good quality graph. So so um, I feel proud of having done that. And um, others can use other tools, certainly, and get similar effects. But, but um, I, I think that this became kind of unique and to the point where when someone would later on, a couple of years into this, uh, s- some people began to use numbers also for for their graphs online. Um, and then I would get an email, someone saying, "Hey, someone just copied your 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 graph." And I would go look at it, and I said, "No, no, that's just that's their own data, their own graph. It just happens to be using numbers because you can tell right away it was a numbers graph." So people began to associate. My 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 graphs with with uh, as being somewhat unique um, as a, as a design and and a language visual language and um, 
I, you know, I got to give credit to Apple because they they have these uh, tools. The tool is is it lets you do that, and that tool, by the way, is shared across iWork, and um, so you can get that quality inside of a of a keynote if you push it. Again, most people just use the the standard template, and they have you know five data points they want to graph. But in my case, I'm usually using sometimes hundreds of points and maybe thousands of points, and I'm layering multiple graphs on top of each other, and I'm I'm doing all kinds of effects. So um, someone asks, I get the question, probably the most asked question I get is, what did you use to make these graphs? And I always answer numbers, but I should answer numbers in about three years of practice. So that's that's what that's what I cannot convey is sort of what it takes to get to that quality. Do you think that you have a, a mind or a brain that is is more wired to think inquisitively about things than than other people? Well, you know, I don't think so. I think there's plenty of uh, there there. I think there's a there's a quantitative way of looking at the world, surely. But the other thing is that. I, I hope to not be known only as a quantitative person. I think that the, the magic is happens when you combine the uh, the thoughtful um, analytics with with a the the sort of a, the ability to tell the story in a in a you know in an you know a way that conveys empathy. So the idea is, is again, I, I steal, um, uh, I steal freely from from Steve Jobs here, where he put the 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 sign saying that you know Apple resides at the intersection of liberal arts and engineering, and and um, I think that's the magic, um, also potentially of of what I do is that I try to blend the lyrical with 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 the uh, logical and that's uh, coincidentally i actually do have a liberal arts and an engineering degree <laughs> so you are uh, at that intersection i i <laughs> sort of am although i cheated a bit in my liberal arts at the time uh was 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 actually computer science it happened to be in the liberal arts um uh, college whereas the engineering was a separate college but I still had to take all the liberal arts degree program, uh, I mean, foundations. So I had to take, you know, uh, everything from uh, arts. Like, I, I remember these classes because I, I, I actually, they, I remember them more than I perhaps remember the computer science classes, like English romantic poetry. I remember taking that class, almost everything about it. Um, Japanese art. I remember that very well as well. And, um, and these... These classes were just like Steve Jobs. Again, he took some callig- calligraphy class, and um, and that influenced his thinking about making um, the laser printer and making the fonts in the original Macintosh with serifs and 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 beautiful and 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 all that. So, in my way of thinking, I bring some kind of. I don't think it's a complete. Um, post unless there's this element of of um beauty to it in 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 sort of a crude way of putting it it's, it has to have um it has to have a little bit of the emotional impact 
it, it, you have to be careful because the emotion can overwhelm and and misdirect. You can end up being being uh, sentimental. No, I, I I try to be offer a little bit of uplift and and emotional ties that that reinforce the 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 logic and actually i think that's what gets engagement going i think the the audiences will respond better the the danger is the slippery slope where you become all all sentiment and no no um no logic there's a there's a great great oscar wilde quote where he you know he says the cynic is the man who knows the price of everything and the value of nothing that's kind of like analogous to 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 the analyst who knows the 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 uh, the data for everything but doesn't know how to how to express it but the second part of the quote from wild was that the sentimentalist is the is the man who knows the uh, value of everything and the price of nothing so you don't want to be either one you you, you want to be somewhere in the middle that you know both the prices and the values and the the uh the ability to to convey that so so that's again uh, uh, this is this is maybe we're going back to this dual dual duality the idea of combining uh, the yin and the yang i think you find this constantly everywhere it's not just jobs who points out that that balance is important and met the banks so this is comes from eastern philosophy it comes from from oscar wilde it comes from from uh, all all history uh, throughout history you you or, or you go go back to aristotle and see he actually adds a third element he 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 we when we talk about this also when we we present air show and and, and teach how to do this um uh, how to be persuasive and then you know the the classic uh, aristotle on rhetoric is that you need three elements you need logic empathy and uh and uh character ethos the idea of of having the presenter be credible and and that combine those three things and you 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 have a, the ability to persuade people through through rhetoric and so so you you know you see the, over and over again you see this notion that the complete the complete individual is a blend of more than one dimension and uh and that's again what i hope to to show so so i think that it's it's easy to say there's a there's an ability to analyze and i think there are many who have it there are many who also have an ability to empathize and the ability to 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 move emotionally um and that's that's emotional intelligence it has its own sort of you know um, uh, quality but it's kind of i think the the greatest thing is to be able to combine these things sometimes they're orthogonal sometimes they're opposites you want to try to combine them in the in the same uh in the same mind by the way just on the theory i use is another interesting um uh blend uh or idea of blending the, the theory i use is is a lot is this christensen's disruption theory which explains success and failure in business and and the, the the great thing is that when you un, when you understand the theory and you find out the prescription for the dilemma, innovator's dilemma is that the innovator needs to have in their mind the ability to disrupt and to sustain at the same time. This this is the quality a CEO needs to have the the nurturing of something that that is new, 
and 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 therefore you want to to protect it just like you protect a child and allow them to develop but at the same time you want to drive um forward with 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 the existing world so so it's like the 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 life uh, balance where you're trying to be a good parent while at the same time have a good career and and that's hard right and the, so a ceo has the problem of sustaining his core business while finding out how to how to disrupt it how to create a fledgling alternative to it and again so you see this duality and the idea is that that the the uh, the 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 manager of the future the manager of of the um, um, enlightened management is about keeping these two things in your mind at the same time two things which may fight with each other and that's the essential um, uh, the essential sort of uh, quality of Renaissance man you know we keep going back and back into history here but the idea of that you could keep the the secular and the the um, the divine um, in balance in your own in your own head and that that was considered impossible but people proved it's possible and I think with with uh, again with Steve, Steve Jobs and others you're seeing examples of uh, 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 existence proof that it's possible. So let me ask you, you mentioned that you were working on, uh, at Nokia, or Nokia, I think, as we would call it in, in London. First off, can you clear that up for me? Is it Nokia? Right, so so I'm not a Finn, I just I just live here. Uh, but it's 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 Nokia. Nokia is um, is like any Finnish word I learned the the accent is on the first syllable, so yeah. it cannot be Nokia. Uh, so it is how, like be, how we say it in in England. We we've always yes, you're saying Nokia. it correctly. Though there are slight, there's slight sort of the the Nokia. If you you know sort of whether you put the 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 K and sort of more in the back of the throat or not. Mm-hmm. I think if you just do a neutral Nokia, it's 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 uh, it's acceptable. So you mentioned that you were there for for about eight or nine years. Um, Try, can you put this into perspective for me? What was the mobile industry like at the time that you were at Nokia? So I joined in 2001 and uh, left in 2009. So these were these were the years when I guess you could define the epoch as being pre 2007, which is the the uh, the iPhone era. The the iPhone began in 2007 in June. 2007 and and I think the world changed at that point although it may not have been felt till 2009 or even 10 uh, Android didn't really take off till 2010 so so that that was maybe the the time when the user experience based around touch became mainstream if you will um, but but the the period 2001 was also between 2001 and 2007 was also an interesting period and not the beginning either the beginning of the mobile phone era was was much earlier in the early 90s if you are you argue it's sort of the the beginning of GSM um where when when Nokia began its ascent and um in Europe in particular gained uh, gained its its uh, preeminent positioning in the in the in the global mobile markets Keeping in mind, of course, you had America with with Motorola, you had um, Japan 
with all all kinds of players uh, present in, in the phone space. And then you had a little bit of Korea, not much. Um, but mostly it was centered around Japan, U.S., and Europe. And, and Europe really rose with GSM. Um, uh, and the U.S. fell far behind in Japan, although they were, in a way, um, innovative and had the best technology in many ways. The, the Japanese were very isolated and their technology wasn't exportable. It wasn't, tra- you know, it, it wouldn't travel well. So that, then, then they became, so they, they had this, what they call Galapagos syndrome, is that they had a wonderful ecosystem, but it was very, very fragile if subject to external forces. Uh, and indeed, that's, that's when it all came, came tumbling down. But, but GSM and Nokia were, were pretty much the, the, the dynamic duo. And that, that period of 2001, uh, by then when I joined already, uh, Nokia was, was, was fighting F for first place. And, uh, you know, the, the alternative was, was Ericsson. Um, as as a as a as a candidate, and there were a few others like Siemens. Mm-hmm. Um, there were in Europe as well Alcatel, which wasn't very big, but you had the Germans, the French, the Swedes, the Finns, um, as as the the the, the primary um, uh, powerhouses in 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 mobility, um, and then and then in U.S. you had uh, you had uh, Motorola. Um, and in, in Japan, Sony, Panasonic, NEC, Toshiba, and, and so on. But the, 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 the thing was that Nokia managed to run into first place on the basis of production, logistics, and uh, branding, which actually today are what Apple is doing very well, right? You, you know, it's, it's doing amazing work in, in getting the, the volumes, although not as big as Nokia's. But uh, they also have the brand, they have the, mm-hmm. the global reach and uh, um, all those things that were working for Nokia now are possessed by, by Apple and to some degree uh, Samsung. But um, yeah, th- those were great years, 2001. There were a few scary bits and that was one was, was the Motorola uh, launched the Razor, which was doing very well. Uh, there was the rise of BlackBerry, which wasn't the threat. It was a bit of a of a of a, of a complex sort of puzzle to solve. Uh, there was always the fear of Microsoft. That was a pervasive fear because Microsoft was very clearly intent on doing to phones what it did to PCs, which is to control the the software and hence capture most of the profits. They wanted to bring the in Wintel model to to mobile phones because they knew they would become the, the computing platform of the future. I think that was, it was understood by, by, by almost everyone, even in 2001. And they were chipping away at it by building Windows Mobile, had, had the pocket PC platform, which was a PDA platform. Oh, and I remember now, speaking of PDAs, there was also Palm. Palm with initially Handspring spun off that were doing a smart quote-unquote smartphones and, and devices based on PDAs. And so we had the wonderful period of, of um, innovation and platform and diversity um, of ecosystems that was going on from 2000, 
2000 until uh, 2007 or so, uh, with uh, with with probably four or five contenders in the platform game. Nokia with Symbian and and uh, Microsoft and and Linux was out there as well. Several flavors of it. Eventually, actually, the flavor that won and became Android. But there there were um, there was a lot of activity, very much in the same kind of you know, epoch as, as automobiles were prior to the Model T, right? You had this, this, this massive explosion of, of um, innovation happening and nobody quite knew what the right format for the car would be as far as, you know, business model, as far as production techniques. Um, does it make sense to make uh, one type of car for millions of people, or do you want to have little, you know, dozens of, of different brands and and all that? Nobody knew from 1886 until 1915 quite how to build uh, um, a, a, the car industry. And uh, so we had that as far as smartphones, we had that that period between 2001 and 2007. Um, and it's a different world, and now it's completely different. And and that's why the players that were around back then. Nokia, I mentioned, RIM, I mentioned, Palm, Motorola, they're gone. Siemens, gone. Alcatel, gone. All the Japanese, gone. So the, the, there was a, a, a time when, when these guys, were, you could call them incumbents, where you know, there, were, there wasn't a debate about their existence. The debate was only who was be numbers one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And it turns out that all eight are gone. And you you know the only players in the game are are guys who, who never thought would even be in the game, which would be Apple and Google. So clearly, you were working at Nokia at quite an exciting time, and being in the mobile industry at this time was very exciting. So, what drew you away from this from the company to start Simco? Well, firstly, I didn't leave to start a Simco. I, I actually I left in two thousand nine because well, two things. First, in 2007, when the iPhone launched, I looked at it and I said, this is the best phone I can imagine today. And one thing that I enjoyed about being at Nokia is that I felt that throughout the time I was there, that I could, I personally would carry in my pocket the best, the best phone as far as, far as the, my definition of best. They were making the best stuff then. Absolutely, they were amazing. So, so going back to my first phone was probably. uh, Well, I know it was not my first GSM phone. I had a Motorola, you know, bag phone back in 1988 or so. But I, my first digital phone. So that was an analog phone. But my first digital phone was an Ericsson i888, and the reason I had that was because it was the first world phone. It was the first phone I could use both in Europe and the United States. And that phone worked on the GSM version of the US uh, GSM, which was, I forgot the, the, the operator, and it doesn't exist anymore. Uh, got blended in with probably uh, T-Mobile. Um, but I got this GSM phone, it was an Ericsson. And... There, it was the first uh, uh, world phone, but the Nokias that were not world phones were known to be better already at the time. So we're talking about 96, 7, or 8, something around those years. 
And and the Nokia's at the time were were where everyone knew they were more fashionable, they were better designed, they were easier to use, they had better battery life. And um, for example, text messaging was just so much easier to do. That's why text messaging was was something that Nokia enabled as a huge business for operators, and that's why they love them. Um, so I, when I joined by 2001, it was pretty clear that I was joining the company that made the best phones. And, and I began by using their, their first smartphone in 2002 already. And, and, and so I had a smartphone from 2002 until the present. So I've been on smartphones for 12 years. And um, I even had a communicator even before, they, before 2002, but I wouldn't necessarily, the original communicators weren't really um, um, modern smartphones. But still, the point is that I was carrying the best phone. By 2007, though, when the iPhone came out, and I was, I was in the role of being a competitive analyst, so I immediately got one. Um, and Nokia paid for it, actually. Um, and and I, you know, I was paying for the service. They paid for the phone. And at the time, it was like $600, if you remember. Um, but I, I just said, this is, this is marvelous. And then I began tell, telling others. And I, I, I was an analyst, like I said, um, doing competitive stuff. And I was like, I was not doing Apple competitive analysis. I was doing BlackBerry or, or Microsoft. But showing this to people, I was expecting them all to be as excited as I was, but they weren't. And that was a little, those were the two, two things that, that, that bothered me. Number one, that Nokia couldn't make this thing. And it was clear to me that it would take them a while. In fact, the first post on Asimco is my expectation as how long it would take for Nokia to replicate the iPhone. And I actually predicted it would take um, until 2014, until this year. And, um, and so, you know, seven years, I said, it would take. Um, and that's, that worried me that it would take so long. Second, first, and, 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 the, the, um, and, and there were other things around the, just I felt it was time for a change. And I had maybe, I, the first thing I did when I left Nokia was not even doing uh, async. It was, I, I, I completely left the industry. I went to work with a friend to do solar energy startup. Um, this was back in those days there were, there were, um, it was green tech was considered an exciting growth idea. And actually a friend of mine was involved in a venture to develop a new semiconductor technology. Um, and, um, and I helped fundraising for them. Um, so I did that for about nine months. And then I thought to go back to doing something with, with, uh, with mobile again, and at the time, looking at 2009, late 2009, early 2010, and I was thinking about apps, and, and I was thinking about doing more. So Asimco began as, as actually not a blog, but as, 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 a, as a company to do apps. Um, and I thought of doing apps for the local market in Finland. And at the time, there weren't very many. Remember, we're still... It's still early days for the iPhone. It's it, the, the App Store launched in 2008, and there were there were very few phones in use outside of the United States. So it was a very quirky kind of idea to be be an app maker in Finland. Um, Symbian was still doing okay. This is before the burning platform thing, and so so there, you know iPhone would have been like third or fourth on the list of platforms. You would have had number one Symbian, number two. 
Windows and number three, well, maybe it would have been the iPhone. In other countries, it would have been BlackBerry, but but not in Finland. So it would have been, you know, not the most exciting thing to to think about. So anyway, I was struggling to try to find clients. I had one as an anchor, um, but um, trying to get more. And we're, you know, t- talking to people about doing apps back in those days also around. The 2010 was also when the iPad launched. So that spring, um, we, we started saying, well, you know, apps are are going to be interesting for this for this new platform, tablets. And uh, it was very tough, tough selling. So so I was doing blogging only because I thought it would be a nice way to fill up a website so that so that some mm-hmm. people might come drive by and, and see my blogs and then say, you know, here's a little button to learn more about what we do as a service. And um, but it, by by summer, and I think three months in, the uh, the blog actually began to be really the destination. So so I dropped any pretense of doing apps and and focused on writing. I think that um, especially in the Apple space, analysts tend to get quite heavily criticised. But I feel that people don't lobby this criticism at you. Why do you think that this is? What do you think that that you do differently or? One, do you see that? I guess as a as a thing that that happens, or is or is it a perception thing that maybe not everybody has? Um, but if you do, what do you think that that you do that's different? And, and have you made any conscious decisions? Ooh, this is a tough one. I think the the I, I certainly sense there's a lot of criticism now. I I I actually like to have um, intelligent uh, uh, you know constructive uh, criticism. Um, my my so you know the, the, so let me let let me take it from the first point of view is that a lot of analysts are 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 criticized for their work i think the um there's been there there are a couple of different classes of analysts one is the 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 traditional wall street type analyst and they're actually technically not all wall street they're they're the ones who work for so called sell side analysts and they're they're working for what used to be called brokerage houses, which are companies which sell transaction. Uh, so they'll they'll um, the, 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 what they sell is the the trading uh, platform that they have, mm-hmm. and so these these analysts were hired to provide quote unquote un- impartial advice, so that the client would feel comfortable getting research product and trading product in the same in the same outfit and and so these are the people who put out these these uh forecasts um um who are sitting on conference calls who who create consensus through their through their um through their their uh forecasts and uh, you know issue these notes these these um pdf documents with their um their funny language of talking about buy sell or 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 you know overweight and whatever they have this this bizarre language they use and um and so so that group of analysts has been criticized because they they tend to miss actually the big pictures they 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 are unable to uh, work with the, with a disruptive mindset meaning that they don't 
value companies on their ability to disrupt. So yeah, the analysts are these 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 Wall Street analysts who who cannot have um, cannot use disruption theory to to describe their uh, the, the the their 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 uh, subject matter because their own clients who are typically institutional or or uh, or well institutional investors for example mutual funds or um, hedge funds or or uh, pension funds they don't they don't think about the world through these disruptive lenses um, venture capitalists do certainly but not institutional investors and so it's 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 a it's a kind of a chicken and egg problem that you do you blame the analyst or do you blame the fact that that their 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 customers cannot absorb that that theory um so 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 there's 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 that group of people but there's also analysts more in the more in the blogger commentator maybe even um uh journalist genre who who tend to you know write pieces about Apple which are beyond news and, and more trying to understand cause and effect and they, they are uh, uh, they are they are they, if there's a criticism it's that they they, they are not able to see um, uh, the company for what it is I mean the, 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 they tend to a journalistic style tends to focus on individuals not on processes they, they'll they'll talk about what people are wearing in the company and not so much about how it works and um and so there's this there's this um there's this other cohort of of analysts which which are problematic from a, from a different point of view so so perhaps again the the unique approach is that I may use a lot of the technique of 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 financial analysis and data driven and market analysis based on on all the facts and figures, reading the financial reports, reading everything the company says in its in its public statements to analysts, to to the financial community, while at the same time taking a, a holistic view of the uh, of the organization, the the culture, the the individuals, if 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 that's relevant, the you know, try to really get to the core, the soul, and and the and the um, the cause of success and failure, as I call it, and I had I had experience doing this because when I was again when I was at Nokia, I was doing this for Microsoft. I was trying to be the Microsoft analyst, and later the BlackBerry analyst, and I was like really trying to understand what motivates Microsoft to do what it does, because only then can you really predict what they're going to do, and and so the motivation, the culture, the the that that uh, soul of the company. Um, you know, in, in Christensen terms, it's 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 resources, processes, and priorities. And you look at the priorities; this is what drives them. And you understand. You, very few people know that there are priorities. Never mind what they might be. You know, what are the priorities of, at Apple? You know, they will say things like, you know, we have a north star about, you know, we want to make the best products in the world. That's all you're going to get out of Apple. But their priorities are much more precise in terms of like. What are the to put priorities in context? It's like everything is a compromise uh, in engineering, in business, and so on in life. And the thing is, when you have choices to make, what do you 
what do you prioritize more than and and less? You know, do you, do you do you go for market share or do you go for profit? Do you go for volume or do you go for quality? Do you go for uh, channels that are you know enterprise or do you go for individuals or consumer? And these these are just the crudest of 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 sort of uh, uh, priority uh, decisions. But you know, you get much more fundamental ones. Do you do you worry about your employees first or do you worry about your customers first? Uh, do you worry about uh, intellectual property or do you worry about um, creating a good user experience not necessarily those are mutually exclusive but still you know th these are the things that you have to think about deeply and understand the company only after many many years of of observation that's what's missing typically in 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 uh, any pool any given pool of, an, of of analysts there are some commentators out there i think who have shown to be very good at, at understanding apple and uh though i like say for example john gruber now, the di distinction, I think, from, from my point of view is that I, I also do the numbers. I also go into the financials, and I, I, I will, like I said, lead every story with a graph. And, and that means that I establish credibility and I establish logic um, and then get into the, the empathy later on in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the pros. Tell me a little bit about Airshow. What is Airshow? So Airshow came about again, like everything I've ever done, um, through through a sort of a discovery process, not a deliberate kind of plan. Um, the discovery was um, that, firstly, I began after about a year or two um, of writing, I began to be invited to speak also at at events, and um, and I thought, well, you know, let's do something unique and appropriate to the subject matter and that I thought of doing it using a, an iPad um, and um, and so again about the dog food you know you want to use the tool that you're talking about so if you're going to be talking about mobile I, I would imagine that everybody every person who ever talks about mobile is going to use a mobile device it turns out not to be the case mm -hmm. um, so I, I forced myself to think about that and I, I had a friend who uh, who was an, a, a real app developer not like me uh, but he um, reached out and said, hey, can we collaborate on something? And we thought of building uh, an app uh, for my needs as a presenter. The other thing, by the way, was that I also wanted motion in my, in my talks and, and in my graphs because motion gives you a new dimension. Uh, you, can, you, can, uh, you know, we were inspired by, by Hans Rosling who has uh, uh, shown the value of, of motion charts in live presentation and and so so the question is how do we do that and uh, we built an app and um that was called perspective and became called perspective and and then we realized hey this is great it really works as a as a tool and i but then we saw that nobody was using it besides me <laughs> so the question became well why aren't they using the app and, and we realized well they need to be given instruction on how to use it and so we thought well let's do workshops and teach the 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 technique of presenting using using an iPad and using motion graphics and so when we thought about well how do you do a presentation how do you do a workshop well then we came to the problem well you first you have to demo it and you have to demo the the, the result and so you know by asking a series of questions we got to this point where we need to create a a, a an event where 
half of it is or you know some significant part of it is demo of technique and then um, sort of a lecture model where we teach the, the the fundamentals of that technique and and it's still evolving we've done 10 shows and everyone's different and we're still moving forward with it so air show is the the ability this sort of uh, um, workshop slash but it's but it's like going to the movies it, it it's a little bit of a dual purpose thing it's like going to a movie but the movie is it's funny or entertaining but it it also happens to teach you something but it you, we don't we don't we don't hide the fact that we're teaching but we also want to make it seem like wow i just saw some really cool presentations that inspired me to do similar things and therefore we 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 don't we we want to um um we want to preserve an element of surprise so we don't tell much about what you will see this is why it seems a little bit awkward when explaining what it is um we say we we expect people to come and see some um amazing thing and um uh we don't want to describe the 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 uh movie and before you see it says so you take it all over the world right we we are and so this year as is we began to well the problem we had was choosing a location so we were thinking huh this is again you see the discovery process at work we thought oh okay well, you want to do it in silicon valley obviously but uh you also know that people may want to be in in some other towns and um and so we thought, okay, which towns? And and so um, and by the way, we have IBM as a sponsor, which means that they offer us their their facilities. And so we asked them, well, which facilities can we use? And then they gave us a list of cities around the world. And they said, okay, this is our candidate list. Now, if people want to have us come to that city, could you tell us by purchasing a ticket? And if we don't come to your city, we'll get you the money back. And so the idea was to kind of like almost like a Kickstarter if we reach a quorum of number of of minimum number of seats sold in a city we'll actually go there um and if we don't reach quorum and your vote is cast you will you know uh, we will actually refund the money so there's um we've done a bunch of those on this basis right uh, of of voting for the city so we've done london uh we've done vancouver um we've done boston we've done new york and um, and so there's a couple of slots left for the rest of the year. And, and if anybody's listening wants to see this amazing event, uh, by the way, the first 20 people pay less than anyone beyond that quorum. So so there's a discount for, for voting early. And uh, it's just one more project. Like I said, it, you know, I don't want to say that's the main thing we do, although it's uh, it's 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 taking quite a bit of time due to travel. But. Um, but there's the blogging, there's the podcasting, which I do as well on, 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 on Critical Path. There's, um, maybe we did a book out of the podcast, which was funded through Kickstarter. That was a wonderful experience. I wish I could do more of that. Um, then we do live events. Then we do, um, I do a bit of consulting, but I don't, I don't talk about it. I don't say, you know, I'm a consultant, but it, people do reach out to me and ask me i even sell a few data sets things which i think are unique like an itunes report that defines the business in great gory detail um which again it's funny how people find about it because i don't 
find out about it because I don't actually uh, talk about it much. And now I just started something new, which is a TV show as a pilot uh, right now called Significant Digits. And Significant Digits is, the you know, it's like a talk show like uh, Kevin Rose or um, Between Two Ferns. Uh, but it's it's we actually have data in the middle between us. We have a, a, a rear projection screen where we, we actually see the data that uh, that we talk about in a, in a sort of with an iPad wirelessly being uh, being uh, used and and uh, motion charted. Horace, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you, and I know I'm going to have to have you back on the show because I feel like we've only scratched the surface. So okay. I, I hope that you'll come back on another time. But where can people keep up to date with the work that you do online? Where's a good place to to find you? Well, it's. It's actually one place is 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 my blog, which is asymco a s y m c o. It's the two words um, asymmetric competition, uh, you know, um, blended together. And um, so asymco.com on Twitter, I'm at asymco. Um, and um, I think that's about it. I mean, there there are links from there. You can go to find other things, but uh, but if you just subscribe to asymco's. Uh, uh, stream or Twitter stream, uh, RSS stream. Um, you pretty much get everything. Uh, everything I I do. If you want to find uh, links to that stuff, and I've been collecting some other links to things that we've spoken about during today's episode, then you can go to 5x5.tv slash cmdspace slash 92. My name is Mike Hurley. I'm at imike, I-M-Y-K-E, and I'll be back next week with another episode of Command Space. Thank you all for listening, and thanks again to Horace for joining me. Until next time, bye-bye.